Open your Bibles, if you would please, to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. I'd like to read the first 12 verses here of Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. Selah. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Selah. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Go ahead and take this off. We've been studying the Psalms and how they train us to pray. Now, we've seen that oftentimes prayer may be spontaneous in times of trouble, in times of pain, anger, despair, even gratitude, uh, where it seems that you just cry out to God in response to what he has done. But this means that our prayers, in this case, are fragmentary. They're just fragments. But hopefully it doesn't stop there, that if we continue in prayer, we can in fact begin to grow and mature into the practice of memory, which I hope to discuss as we go along today. There's a tendency, and I would almost say a temptation, to view the Psalms in terms of categories. And certainly we have Psalms that are laments, those that are penitential. We have what are known as the royal Psalms, the hymns of praise. But this isn't the way they're organized. If you think about it, when you go through the book of Psalms, all the laments are not together. Um, The only group of Psalms that are grouped together are the Songs of Ascent that Titus has been uh, preaching to us about over the past couple years. It would be helpful, one might say, to have them put in groups, have the Psalms of Lament, have the psalms of praise, the hymns of praise, the royal psalms, have them put in categories like that. Yeah, this would be good for professors, for teachers, for pastors, and perhaps the students. But the psalms are not a textbook. They're not something in which we learn how other people pray. Rather, it is a school in which we are learning how to pray. And in our lives, for the most part, Things don't happen in discrete categories. I mean, we may talk about the blue period or, you know, time when someone is discouraged or depressed or time of joy. But rarely is it just one discrete period of time that in the morning you may be happy, in the afternoon you may be sad. This is the way the Psalms are as well. We don't have one week of this or one month of that and then the next it's something else. And the Psalms reflect the reality of our experience. 
We learn to pray in a very similar way that we learn how to speak. Our parents speak, and that's how we learn to talk. They don't teach us these are the nouns, and these are the verbs, these are the adjectives and the adverbs, and then, you know, with the verbs, you have conjugation, then you have the subjunctive and the indicative. No, these are things we learn in school. And in that case, I would say the Psalms are more like our parents than they are like our professors. That is, they don't teach us categories. They don't say these are the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives, but rather they teach us how we are to speak, how we are to pray. As we read the Psalms, we learn the language of prayer. We don't necessarily learn the categories or the various descriptions. In time, we may in fact develop a sense of syntax, of grammar, but that becomes secondary because what is important is that we have learned how to pray, to answer the one who spoke first. God spoke and now we are answering him in prayer. We live in the present, I hope we're aware of that, but most of what we live with is from the past what we have inherited from our ancestors, from our parents and our grandparents, things that we have acquired, things that we have been given by others, by friends, by our environment. Um, these things from the past make us who we are today in the present. If we have little or no connection with the past or no awareness of it, then I think we exist in a very thin present. There's no foundation to it. Uh, there's no sense of, yeah, this is what you learned from your parents, or you, you're like your dad. We were looking at pictures today um, from back in the 80s, and Lonnie was commenting how that the way Dan looked back then is how Tim looks now. There's a connection. There's a foundation. If we ignore all of that, then we just have the present but there's, there's nothing holding up. You're on thin ice because there's nothing else there. Memory is critical to prayer. And we must recover and practice memory in prayer. Otherwise, I think it's just these fragmentary outbursts, either of despair or of great joy or gratitude. But, but there's no continuity and there's no foundation. It's just this thin thing in the present that can easily crumble or be easily forgotten because we have no sense of memory. We just sort of want to live in the moment. We need, as we'll see, to recover a sense of the shape of creation in us, a realization of the many ways in which we are implicated in sin, and a feel for the country of salvation. Memory is not simply a recollection of facts. One of the, the questions that teachers and professors hate to hear is when students say, is this going to be on the test? As though, if it were not, then I don't want to remember it. And memory in scripture is not a matter of remembering facts so that you can pass the test. Memory is much more than that. Let's look at these three things. First of all, the shape of creation. We are created in the image of God. And something that we so often forget, we are declared to be good. We and everyone and everything has this basic beauty, this wondrous goodness, because God made us. How easily we forget that. 
because oftentimes we don't feel good at all. Um, we don't perceive ourselves as being good. We don't perceive ourselves as being made in the image of God. We are all too aware of our failures and then the experience, the experience of criticism and rejection from others. We don't feel good. We feel lousy. And we then forget that God made us and he made us in his image. And at the end of creation, he saw that everything was good. The memory of the goodness of creation is, is somehow we're blinded to it because of the fog of failure and our inadequacies. That we seem so, our memory seemed to work so well at remembering the things we've done wrong or the things we failed to do. It doesn't seem to work as well when it comes to the memory that we are made in God's image. Prayer is a reminder. It is a re-entering into the reality of God's creation. That we are in fact made in God's image. The Psalms are all spoken out of the ordered and purposeful beauty of creation. And they should activate our memories of creation. Without Genesis 1 and 2, you can't have the book of Psalms. You just cannot. Uh, in most of the Psalms, it is implied. In some of it, it's very explicit. But the fact that God made the world and that he made us and he made all things, that is the basis of the Psalms. And you take that out, then you, you can't you can't in fact read the Psalms they make no sense whatsoever so in the Psalms we enter into the reality that God made the world and the world is good Psalm 8 opens and closes with the statement O Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all creation And as the rest of the psalm is in between these two statements, so our lives are lived between the reality of God's majestic creation. Peterson, in his book on the Psalms and Prayer, puts it this way. Within the brackets, and there is nothing that is not within the brackets, our creation takes place. All of creation takes place within the reality that God made the world, and it is good. But we often lose sight of this. We lose sight of it. To put it simply, we forget. We lose sight of boundaries, of limits, of orientation. In the words of Walker Percy, we are lost in the cosmos. So I have no sense that God made the world and God sustains all things and we are made in his image. If we understand and it's not, I think, a one-time thing. I think it's over a lifetime, a developed sense of being created. It not only gives us a definition of who we are, which we so easily lose if we're not careful, but also distinction. I am not you. You are not me. I'm not the cats that are outside, for example. And I am not God. Because God is the creator, and I'm a creature but I'm part of God's creation and I participate in God's creation. 
when we pray and when we speak God's name, we begin the recovery of order. We are then reminded, oh, that's right. God is the creator. God is the Lord God Almighty. It restores our orientation. And when we speak the name of God, we get a grip on the rope by which we can be pulled from the quicksand of, or the prison of subjectivism, that it's all about me. But when we pray and we speak to our Heavenly Father, it's a reaching out. There's an awareness that there is something beyond ourselves. Our lives are oriented to another. Someone who is more. He is the creator and I'm a creature. Again, to quote Peterson, every act of addressing another by name is a declaration of the reality of creation. I am distinct from the one I am naming. Therefore, I am a creature. Therefore, there is a creator. The Psalms are filled with names for God. Metaphors, as we have seen, that he is a refuge, he is a rock, he is our shield. And after we address him, after we acknowledge who he is, what follows, the words that follow, are in fact an assertion of created order. See, we don't say God and then somehow randomly put words together that make no sense whatsoever. We speak to our Father, and then we speak, maybe not in complete sentences, perhaps not with perfect grammar, but there is order. You do have a subject and a verb. You have sentences. And no matter how whacked out our lives may seem at the moment, we may be so disoriented when we call to God in prayer, there is a sense of order because we are speaking the way you're supposed to speak, where it can be understood. The act of speech brings us into order, one word after another, one sentence after another. But you will remember that the Psalms, in fact, are poetry, which means that the order of the words is even more deliberate in the, in the book of Psalms. Um, when I was in high school, we had to write poetry and not something that comes very naturally to me. Uh, there is a certain there's a certain deliberateness to it that the words may not be in the order that you would use if you were speaking normally, but as you put them together, there is a rhythm, there's a pattern of sound, there is rhyme, if you wish, there's repetition, and even a play on words. Listen to what David says when he's talking about the fact that he's just a mess and crying out to God. I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. What a wonderful way to put it. This is a deliberate, a conscious way of speaking to God in prayer. The poetic mind is a creative mind. It follows patterns. It follows creative patterns after the Creator. Formless was the world, and then God made it. In the same way, we come to God 
we speak. Out of the chaos, if you wish, of our lives, we're able, by God's grace, to speak. And the act of praying, the Psalms, the faded memory of our creation is brought into experienced clarity. We may, in fact, live through an entire day and never remember that God made the world, that he made us. But when we begin to pray, and when we are trained by the Psalms, we become wonderfully aware. We remember that God made the world and that he made us, and that all that he made is good. The second thing we need to remember is our implication in sin. If, in fact, the memory of God's good creation is frequently and easily lost in our consciousness, the realization that we are implicated in a catastrophic sin is just as frequently lost. We forget so easily. We pretend that we are better than we are. We deny the evidence that of our wrongdoing. We avoid facing our badness. But this is as much an escape of our humanity as is the denial of our creation. In the same way that one might say God did not make the world, one could say, I am not a sinner, and it is a denial of what you are as a human being. Sin is the reality of our lives, and it coexists along with the reality of God's creation. The Psalms teach us. They train us. They pray us in a deliberate, detailed awareness of our condition as sinners. The memory of our good creation depends on maintaining a sense of God as creator. The awareness of sin also requires a sense of the living God. We cannot, we cannot have a sense, you know, I think everyone knows that something is wrong, but that we are sinners, I think only comes with an awareness of God. The most persistent manifestation of sin is that we don't want to remember. We don't want to remember our sin. We seek to obliterate, them, obliterate it. Uh, we rename it as ignorance. Yeah. It's just the mind isn't what it used to be. Or sickness in body. So it has nothing to do with God. So the, the, the things that are wrong in my life are seen as more mental and physical than any type of sin involved. So the solution, many people would say, is education, deal with ignorance. Or medicine, deal with the body. That means we don't have to deal with God. We can avoid dealing with God at all. We don't have to do that. Ignorance and sickness are realities of the human condition. They're also seen as the cause of what is wrong with humanity. We have better educational systems, better medical facilities than ever before, and yet the problem remains. There seems to be something that professors, education, and physicians, medicine, are unable, that are, they're helpless to do anything about, and that something is sin in which we, the creatures, find ourselves at odds with the one who made us, that is God, the creator. This is the human condition. The facts of the reality are all around us. But we would prefer to forget them. We would prefer to remember 
Well, we prefer not to remember them, but if we do remember them, then we remember God. When we pray, we are in the presence of God. And when we pray the Psalms, we pray through all the parts of our lives and our history and cover the ground of our intricate implication in sin. We are sinners. The language of our separation from God is found throughout the Psalms. Rebel, wanderer, lawless, evildoer, guilty, liar, fool, corrupt, wicked. There are seven so-called penitential psalms in which the psalmist cries out to God for forgiveness. But there's hardly a psalm that goes by that doesn't bring out some aspect of the fact that we are sinners. In our wonderful forgetfulness, the psalms brings these things out to the light that this is who we are. Peterson again reminds us that most of the sins we do not commit are not because of virtue, but because we lack either energy or opportunity. We would sin a great deal more than we, than we do if we were only energetic enough and were provided more generous opportunities. The Psalms remind us, in fact, that not only have we committed certain sins, but there are sins we would commit if we just had the time, if we just won't, weren't so tired at the time. The third thing we need to remember is the country in which we live, the country of salvation. Peterson sees creation as the North Pole and sin, our implication in sin, as the South Pole and the country of salvation, everything that is in between. The seas, the continents, the islands, everything that is in between. For some, salvation is seen as something tiny. It's momentary, if you wish, uh, an occasion, an occasional thing, an intervention of sorts. But this is not what we find in the Psalms. Salvation is total. It covers every area of our lives. Prayer explores that country. And in the Psalms, we find the unnumbered details of grace of mercy, of God's blessings in our lives, and that they are to be appreciated and to be savored. Prayer is the way by which we do this, that we walk through the country of salvation, of what God has done for us. That land, that territory that is between creation and our sinfulness, we find God's grace. The Psalms bring our good creation and our experience of sin into the action of God. His action which saves, delivers, ransoms, redeems, helps, restores, rescues. Um, yes, this is what God does. In Psalm 103, David tells us, forget not all his benefits. But we do forget. We do forget what God has done. We overlook the benefits in part because it's not finished yet. The work's not yet finished. And being where I am at the project right now, there's a sense of incompleteness and the frustration because I want this thing to be finished and it is not yet finished. Or sometimes I think we forget because we only think of our own efforts and our own miserable failures to fix the situation. 
But when we forget God's benefits, when we forget the country of salvation, we become deaf, dumb, and blind to the reality of what God is doing in our lives and in the world today. God's work is the dominant action in the country of salvation. But if we do not remember that, then we don't see it. We don't, we don't hear it. We're not able to speak about it. Most of our lives consist of what God has done in creating us and speaking to us and loving us. If we are not able to remember any of this, we are bereft of this wonderful dimension of our being. Without memory, we only speak gibberish. There is no sense at all. Memory is the mysterious capacity we have as human beings for gathering fragments of, of experience and putting them into a coherent and comprehensive context. Prayer develops our memory with God. In prayer, we remember that we are made in God's image and that all of God's creation is good. We are also reminded of our failures. But then more than that, we are then taken through the country of salvation. If you wish to ride, to walk, to run through and see God's many benefits. Let's be clear about something. Memory is not nostalgia. And it is not an orientation to the past. It is possible to be stuck in nostalgia, sentimentalism, or to be sort of oriented toward the past. But that's not what the Psalms do for us. We live in the present tense. We do select images and experiences and insights out of the storehouse of the past, if you wish, the warehouse of our lives. We retrieve them, we arrange them, we hammer them together like a puzzle for their use in the present moment. As we read in our text today, the psalmist cries out to God, and then he remembers. And then he remembers. Praying is an act of memory. The psalmist exercised their memories passionately, energetically. Again, without the first five books of the Old Testament, the psalms make no sense whatsoever. The psalmists exercise the memories and they train us to do the same thing in prayer if we would just allow them to do so. Let's pray together. Our fathers, fallen creatures, our memories are not what they should be. We seem, almost to paraphrase Paul, to remember the things we shouldn't and we forget the things we should remember. Help us to see that it is in prayer that we learn to remember what we should. That you are the one who made us. We are made in your image. We have value. We have tremendous value. 
And at the same time, we are dreadfully broken. We sin and rebel against the one who made us, against the one who loves us. But by your grace, we live between these two realities of creation and sin in the country of salvation. And by your grace, may we see all your benefits. May we not forget them. And not just the spiritual benefits, the Sunday benefits, but how that you take care of us moment by moment. I thank you for the Psalms. That it's not like a college course, neatly organized so we can go from topic to topic because our lives aren't lived that way. But rather they are written and arranged in such a way that we can read them and learn from them and be trained in how we should pray. In the words of the disciples, teach us to pray, O Lord. I thank you that you have not been silent. You have not left us in the dark. You have spoken and now you call us to respond in prayer. And by your grace, may we do just that. I thank you that you've called us together today to worship you in spirit and in truth. We do pray for this one who's lost his grandmother, that you would bring comfort. And now as we leave this place, may your spirit and your grace go with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.